calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 53. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, there's one more week left in the People's Choice Drabblecast Awards, and it's a close race between four great stories, Jelly Park by Aaliyah Whiteley, The Worm Within by Vincent Eaton, Code Brown by Dermot Glennon, and The Beekeepers by J. Allen Pierce. If you've heard these stories and you haven't joined our forums yet, you should hop in there and throw in your vote for which story you like the best. We've got a nifty Drabblecast plaque being designed for the winner, and we should have a picture of that up on the website relatively soon. Well, we've got a great story for you today, but first, a bit of Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words in length, and we like to feature these sometimes before our main story whenever we can. So if you're ever feeling creative and are up for the challenge, write one and send it in to drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble comes from Alfred Bilizarian, and it's called Blessed Silence. So, uh, how much oxygen do we have left? Couple of minutes. Well, what do you want to talk about? Huh? We got a couple minutes left to live. Surely there's something important enough that we can talk about. No. (laughs) You can't be serious. Your life is about to end and you have nothing you want to say. Nope. What's wrong with you? Nothing. (laughs) Well then say something. Anything. Ray looked across the vast Martian desert. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Bill crumple to the arid ground, his oxygen depleted. You talk too much, Bill. 
Our feature story this week is called Sing by Christine Catherine Rush. Christine is an award-winning, best-selling author of more than 90 novels and 200 short stories. Her latest science fiction novel is The Recovery Man. You can find out more about her at www.christinecatherinerush.com. Sing is one of her most popular stories, first appearing in Aboriginal SF in 1987. If you like hearing Christine's work in audio, check out her story, Sparks in a Cold War, ran by Escape Pod back in November as episode 132. You can find them at www.escapepod.org. So without further ado, Sing by Christine Catherine Rush. <laughs> When I was a little boy, there was this guy who lived down the road. He was big, but he weren't mean. I don't think he ever hurt nobody before I first met him. He called himself Dirk and the name fit because he looked like the daggers children use. He was long and thin with only two arms and two legs. But he was strong, and he moved like he owned the world, or at least a small part of it. I used to walk past his place a lot. It was the strangest place I ever seen, all shiny and silver. But the lawn was real nice. He kept the flowers well cropped. Sometimes these strange sounds echoed around the silver and kept me away. Uh, most of the time, he'd sit right outside his door and blow air through a hollow tube. It made the most awful noise I ever heard, but he seemed to like it. One day, he called me over, sat me down, and showed me his tube. It had a bunch of little holes punched in it. I thought maybe he wanted me to take it back to my dad, because my dad was good at fixing all kind of things, but Dirk said no. He had something else to ask me. Would you? <laughs> he asked like he was scared I'd say no, even before I heard the question. Would you teach me how to sing? Well, I'd never heard the word sing before, and I told him so. He kind of frowned and said it was the only word he couldn't find a translation for. That word and a couple others he called related, as if words could share blood like people do. I can't teach something, I don't know what it is, I said to him, and he started laughing then. <laughs> Child, you sing all the time, when you're walking, when you're eating, even when you're laughing. You people make the most beautiful music in the entire galaxy. So I came here to learn how to do it. I told him I sure didn't know what it was, and I got to thinking that Maybe he was a little crazy somehow. Not scary crazy like some folks can be, but just plain nutty. Wacky enough to make most people uncomfortable. Look, back where I come from, I'm one of the most famous musicians in the world. But I can't do half of what you people do. You make the experience of two millennia sound like the tinkering of children. I want to use your songs the way Copeland and Sibelius used folk tunes. 
but first I gotta know how you sing. <laughs> You're not helping me, I said. If this sing is something I do all the time, like breathing or blinking, how come I don't even know about it? That's the big question. None of you people seems to know what you're doing. It's driving me nuts. Everybody has their own personal melody, which they play every day with a different variation. It's like gypsy music, never the same. And I'm the only one who can hear it. I got a little scared there when he said he was going nuts. You never know what someone named Dirk would do when he went crazy. So I picked myself up off the flowers and moved away a little, telling him I had to go somewhere when I really didn't. He said that was okay. I should come back when I didn't have anything better to do. I went home then and told my dad about the awful broken tube, and he said that maybe I should stay away from Dirk, because Dirk weren't like other people. No matter what my dad said... I planned to go back there, because I thought Dirk was pretty interesting, even if he were strange. But I didn't get to go, because the next day was the day that the first dead body turned up outside of Dirk's place. It was the body of Rasty the Sailor. Rasty had been the most romantic person in town. He sailed on air currents, and sometimes, if he were feeling nice, he'd take a handful of us along. Ain't nothing so smooth and fine as gliding along with the breeze, letting the air dip in and out of your pores. But our chance to sail was gone with Rasty, because he was the only expert sailor our little town had. He was lying in the lawn, crushing a nice poppy group and not the people who lived there before made. The poppies had soaked into Rasty's skin. All the juices in his body had dried up, and his wings had gone blue like he couldn't get no breath. Well, there weren't no broken bones or nothing, so even though it looked like he crash-landed, most people were saying he didn't. We just picked him up and carried him off to the place of grass, so he wouldn't decay and ruin any more flowers. And nobody said nothing to Dirk, or to anyone else. We all went home and mourned the freezing of Rasty's soul. Dirk was around, same as usual that day, and we was all surprised, cause there ain't no such thing as a murder without a suicide. There's just so much passion and violence going on that the souls intertwine, and when one soul freezes over, the other turns to ice too. So we all knew that Dirk didn't kill Rasty, and because there weren't any other bodies around, the town elders went to the place of grass to study Rasty hoping he hadn't flown over another town and brought a plague back with him. The elders hadn't figured anything out yet when another dead body turned up on Dirk's lawn in the same spot as Rasty. Nobody was too surprised when they found out it was Magtana. She'd been poisoning herself for years, sprinkling dried parsnips over everything she ate. I admit... I tried parsnips once or twice, and the rush they give is mighty nice. But everybody knows those things are addicting, and they'll kill you if you ain't careful. And everybody knew Magtana weren't careful. That was pretty much it, until the night Dirk called me over from the side of the street. You know, I think I got it all figured out. 
your ear can't hear certain pitches. That's why you walk around so oblivious to the sounds you make. <laughs> like usual, I didn't know what he was talking about, so I just nodded and pretended I did. But I think I fixed it. I jury-rigged the playback on one of my recorders so that everything will be in your frequency. I can play your song for you, if you like. Well, I thought that sounded just fine. It'd been bugging me for days what them related words of his meant, and I was pretty glad I was finally going to find out. He took me inside his place, and it looked as strange as he did. There were wires and metal all over, and more hollow tubes, some made from wood, and hollow boxes with strings. He sat me down on this platform with four legs that he called a chair, but <laughs> it didn't look like no chair to me. I felt kind of funny in there, with all that strange stuff, and so I asked him a question. You done this with anyone else? Sat them in here and made them listen? I, I guess, I said, not knowing really what I meant at all. Um, no, I put out a directional mic and recorded them while they were passing by. I didn't think of asking them in. I played the songs back on my outside speakers, but I don't think anyone heard. He was talking kind of odd-like, and I remembered him saying how things here was driving him nuts, and I kind of got a little scared. What you mean, recorded them? I asked, and he didn't answer. Just touched one of them pieces of metal with the wires all around it. It made a funny little high noise. And then I saw Rasty, right in front of me, leaning against a metal thing and talking like he always did. Only I knew it weren't Rasty, since he was dead. It had to be a frozen part of his soul. I ain't never heard of nobody seeing a frozen soul before, and I was afraid it might freeze me, so I screamed real loud. Dirk hit the piece of metal, and Rasty went away. What's the matter? That was Rasty. He smiled then and said, Yes, Rasty's song. Isn't it lovely? It's one of the best. So free and happy. You got Magtana too then. Her song has more melancholy in it than all of the others. It tears my heart. Then he sat in one of those odd chairs and looked right at me. But yours is the best, my very favorite, so light and innocent and warm. If you just sit a minute, I'll record it. It's soundproof in here, and I'll get even better quality on you than I did on the others. No. I got up out of the chair and ran for the door. You're not gonna do nothing to me. You froze their souls, and now they're dead. And I don't want to die like that, with clogged pores, and no breath, and no juices, and a soul that can't change when I do. He put his hand on the door, and stood in my way. He looked real upset. I'll, I'll let you go. Just tell me, who died? Rasty and Magtana. We found them in your poppies. How come nobody told me? Because... We thought it didn't have nothing to do with you. 
Your soul was alright. Nobody murders and lives. Except you. But all I did was record them. Recording doesn't hurt anyone. I tried to inch around him real slow. All I know is that Rasty's soul is froze, and he's dead. And you bring me in here and show me a part of Rasty that don't exist no more. Dirk was staring at his metal stuff. We recorded hundreds of you off-planet, and nobody died. Except... He went over to one of the metal boxes and pulled papers out from beside it. I moved closer to the door. I didn't want to run in case he turned one of them boxes on me. Playback. He died after playback. Oh my god. He got out of my way. He stared at his metal stuff and water started running down his cheeks. Oh my god. I opened the door and let myself out and went running to the town elders to tell them it weren't no plague at all but Dirk and his funny hollow tubes. And we all decided we'd have to make him leave. So we went back to his place in a big group. But he was gone. His place, his tubes, his metal, everything was all gone. There was just a big flat spot in the flowers where his place used to be. We searched all over for him, but we never did find him. And Rasty and Magtana stayed just as dead as they were that morning in the poppies. But at least, the rest of us was alright. And even though I'm old now, I still wonder sometimes what it is about the sing that makes one soul freeze without freezing another. The only reason I can think of why Dirk didn't die when he murdered those two is maybe because Dirk could hear the sing. And hearing the sing meant he didn't have a right and proper soul. And me? Sometimes in the time between twilight and darkness, I miss Dirk and his strange tubes. I catch myself dreaming about what it would be like to have him turn his metal things toward me. After all, he did say he was going to do me different. I would have loved to see my soul. But mostly, I just feel sorry for Dirk. He was stealing souls and keeping them in a box. You can't keep a soul in a box. You gotta wear it proud. It's gotta be yours, not someone else's. I hope Dirk knows that now. And I hope he learned to use his tubes to block out the sing. Maybe that way his soul will come back. And he won't have to run away to strange places searching for it. Most of all, I wish that Dirk would come back here so I could tell him that I'm sorry. I shouldn't have run away after I screamed. I should have stayed and helped him find what part of his soul he was missing. And I didn't. I wonder if that means that my song ain't light and innocent and warm no more. It bothers me that I ain't got no way to find out.
Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. Really, I hope you did, because I accidentally erased the whole finished episode this week a few days ago and had to redo the whole thing. I assure you, my song was more than just a wee bit melancholy. Always back up your files. Anyways, feedback for episode 46, The She-Wolf by Saki. Derm thought the story was okay, but he felt that it held back a bit too much. He said Kafka or Chekhov would have really picked up the ball and ran with it. Mr. Tweedy said, I like this sort of pseudo-speculative story where there isn't actually any magic, aliens, ghosts, mutants, or weirdness, but the characters think there is. A clever idea, and very entertaining. A lot of people voiced their opinions on the -the over-the-top voice work I used in the narration. Some thought it was spot on, and others thought it was dreadful. I'll post a link to some Saki stories in the public domain. You should all check them out. They're delightful. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it with whoever you want, and it won't freeze their souls. If you enjoyed this week's story, you might consider throwing a donation to us via our PayPal link on the website to help us pay our authors and do what we do. Our staff is made up of co-editors Luke Coddington, whose song is free-spirited and insightful, Kendall Marchman, who discovered his song way before it went mainstream, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, whose songs you can buy at www.normsherman.com. We're all reminding you this week not to touch that strange man's tube. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink And the bartender shouts last round An hour ago this place was loaded And noise filled the room like the smoke And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass Words were all slurred when spoke Yes, words were all splurred when spoke In the dark corner table Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.